Big Fluff. <laughs> Mike, I feel terrible about not believing you. <laughs> Forget it. Hi, mister. <clears throat> Hi, kid. See you around. Come on, let's go, honey. It's getting late. Would you like me to kick in the shin again, mister? Uh, why don't you get lost, little boy? Well, what an imagination he's got. Oh, come on, mister. I could use another quarter. Here's a half a dollar. Now disappear, huh? Ah! Boy, did this, this man really give you a quarter to kick him? Yes, he's some kind of nut. Be careful, lady. Ah! So long. Ah! You missed... Diane, believe me, the kid is an absolute stranger. And you're an absolute liar. I'm falling in love tonight. Well, I am. I, I mean, I was. I, I, I did. I did. As far as I'm concerned, you can go back up the Space Needle and jump off! <laughs> Hey everybody, I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm Andy McIntyre. And this is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we watch maligned movies and we find their silver linings. And we are continuing the month of February with romantic movies starring the king himself, Elvis Aaron Presley. Thank you. Thank you very much. Elvis has left the building. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, we are following it up with It Happened at the World's Fair. And I have to say, I think we may have aimed too high week one with Blue Hawaii. Yeah, I didn't realize that was going to be the benchmark. But yeah, you you watch that and then you watch this and you go, oh, that was the benchmark. <laughs> oh, that's the bar. That is, yeah. you know, like that is it's it's the median of Elvis movies, perhaps Blue Hawaii. Yeah. Which, I mean, we picked it because it did not have great overall reviews, but yeah, I think it might be right in that sweet spot, right in the middle. It's not Viva Las Vegas, but it's also it's not. It's also not Kissing Cousins. Yeah. Nor is it this week's movie, It Happened at the World's Fair. And true fact about this movie, it happened at the World's Fair. It did. That's true. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and <clears throat> yeah, this is... Uh, Elvis once again going to an exotic locale, Seattle. Yeah. And, and he invents grunge music. Yep. He yeah. uh, single-handedly inspires the Seattle sound. Mm -hmm. uh, a young Chris Cornell is in the audience thinking, what if I just screamed way louder? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is just an odd, odd movie. Yeah, I think it's worth it. I'm going to take a stab at describing the plot of this movie real quick. Stab away, good sir. Okay, so it is about two crop duster pilots. One of them is a degenerate gambler. The other is a womanizer who gets some money. So the gambler immediately blows it all in a game. And then when the womanizer shows up, they beat the shit out of everyone that he owes money to. Then they run away, get in their plane, fly to Seattle, where the cops are waiting to confiscate their plane to pay for their debts. So then they hitchhike with this man and his niece to the World's Fair, at which point the man leaves his kid <laughs> with Elvis and then powders out for the rest of the movie while Elvis does a series of manipulating things to woo a nurse. 
and oh and then at the end uh they're almost all murdered by a random gangster that the gambler makes a deal with who tries to kill them all you also left out Batgirl, right uh you left out him becoming an astronaut oh right which was that set up no <laughs> i had that at the end where yeah there's a scene at the end where he ends up with the the nurse and then he's just at a booth for nasa signing like a clipboard application and it's just like let me know and i i had that where i was like did i miss a scene where he said he wanted to be an astronaut no i think the only thing they set up was that she wanted to do something with nasa yeah, but I didn't and remember then at the him. end. He signs up and becomes an astronaut. Yeah, I did not remember him ever saying that he wanted to be an astronaut. And that just makes me sad because we didn't get Elvis in space. Yeah, I don't know how we didn't get Elvis in space. I feel like if they made like five more movies, we would have gotten they were Elvis. Like, in yeah, space. if he hadn't had the 68 comeback special where he went back to performing Elvis in space was like next on the docket. Yeah, which like based on I mean, we've, we only have a limited sample size, but I can only imagine Elvis in space would have involved him fleeing to space to escape people pursuing him and then uh, falling in love with a Martian girl who was wise to his tricks, who uh, was initially <laughs> resistant, but eventually fell for the Earth man. Right. Yeah. When he sang a song about zero gravity i think you just wrote elvis in space is Fuck what i think yeah, just I happened yeah <laughs> that's that is a hundred percent what happened um and i'm here for it elvis in space uh, also Austin oh Butler, my, what you up to oh my god the song you're out of this world would have been for sure the a-side you 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 know that there would have been an elvis cover of fly me to the moon Oh, yeah, he has to do Fly Me to the Moon. He has to do an original song called You're Out of This World. And then, like, probably one really, like, kind of rocky, bluesy, you know, like, um, what's, oh, like, there ain't no uh, peanut butter banana sandwiches in space, he would have said. Like, Nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> no notes. <laughs> Say there ain't no peanuts, there ain't no butter, there ain't no peanut butter, banana sandwich in space. Oh, home. Oh, home. So oh I, yeah. So take me home. <laughs> yeah, we did it. Um, it seems like Austin Butler's not dropping character, so I say why not get him? Yeah, let's do it. I feel like there's a scene where he just like complains about uh freeze-dried bananas how they're not the same oh as... yeah no it's that's an arc like that's a whole like b story that is, that's the b story is the yeah. fact that and the movie ends with him getting married to the martian girl on earth yeah and they uh celebrate their their nuptials with fried peanut butter and banana sandwiches and she takes a bite of it and she's like you know what this is better <laughs> yeah uh Let's let's uh, and then holler I, at your boys, Baz Lerman. Well, and, and also, I assume right before that, a couple uh, Russian astronauts show up with switchblades and try to murder him. And there's just a brawl. Yeah. In this a zero gravity brawl <laughs> in the space station. Yeah. One hundred percent. Um, 
Yeah, this movie is wild. Well, I mean, speaking of brawls, to get it back on on track, what happened? Like again, so he's friends with a complete scumbag who clearly Just a complete degenerate. Yes, who completely has a, a horrible gambling problem, and he's trying to hold on to their money to not let the guy gamble it all away. But he does find a game, and he loses money, and Elvis goes to get him. But then they just brawl like what is it like five or six guys like in this room people are being thrown out of windows like it is rough like the fact that the cops show up and are just like well you just have to pay your debts it's like they, they're not wanted for assault or property damage or anything else yeah <laughs> fleeing a crime scene <laughs> yeah it's i think they got off easy I, I think they got off light. I, I mean, white privilege. Am I right? Yeah. Well, especially considering that's where it starts. And then it ends with them basically attempting to do like interstate kidnapping. Yeah, they're they're essentially trafficking. Yeah, they because they are trying to get this kid into their airplane to leave Seattle before the cops can get her back. Because, I mean, just, there's so much. I don't know where to focus in this story, but that's. Neither did the filmmakers. Right. So. I mean, it's skipping ahead, but basically, so like we said, the they get a ride to the World's Fair from this, the uncle and it, he has his niece with them and then he gets a phone call or he makes a phone call and he has to leave. And so Elvis it becomes like the guardian for the kid for several days. Well, the kids left alone at the World's Fair for several hours and then right. Elvis is like, Hey, where's your where'd your uncle go? Yeah. And so then he is watching him, but then child protective services get involved and are like, well, you're just some guy and her uncle's missing. So we're going to take her. And he's like, no, you're not. <laughs> I'm going to flee the state. <laughs> They're right in a, this situation. <laughs> oh, no. Social services. CPS is dead on in their choices. Well, it's funny, too, because then there's, there's a whole thing where he thinks that the nurse is the one who called and she's like, I wouldn't do that. And it's like, you probably should have. Yeah. Diane Warren instead of writing Oscar winning musicals, <laughs> musical ballads. Yeah. Uh, maybe you should have called CPS on this delinquent. Cause here's the thing, like Mike, the womanizing crop dusting pilot, only slightly worse a guardian than actual Elvis. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. I mean, and yeah, like she's a nurse. So I think that legally she's supposed to report it. She I'm certain is a mandated reporter. Yeah, that because she's called upon to to check on the kid who is pretending to be sick to help Elvis score. She's wingmanning the <laughs> shit out of Elvis. She really is. Uh, but Sue Lin is a, a game on point. Yeah, no, it's God herself. Yeah, Sulin is on it. She's holding her thermometer. Also, not a great nurse if all it takes is a kid holding a thermometer up to a hot lamp to trick you into thinking that she has a fever. Well, I think the cigarette break she takes right after that is an indication that she's not very health conscious. I think that's what we're learning as we break this down is that she's not a good nurse. No, nor she's definitely not going to get selected to be a NASA nurse. <laughs> well, and also, I mean, Elvis and we need to talk about this scene at length, but he is kicked in the shin the first time he wants to see her. And then she wheels him around the World's Fair 
He just has a bruise on his shin. Right. She puts him in her little weird rickshaw bicycle thing. And and then they just cut the lines like, oh, well, he's got a broken leg. Yeah. Which, again, he doesn't. He, no, has he just has a bruise. A bruise. Yeah. Because Kurt Russell kicked him in the shin really hard. Yeah, we look, we're not at the silver linings yet, but yeah, that was Kurt Russell. And we're going to talk about that a lot more. Yeah, no, we're definitely going to delve into that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, this. This is a just slapdash plot. Yeah, like he has the random tryst with Batgirl, Yvonne Craig. Right. Uh, and that. That through line is just dropped dead as soon as they hitchhike to Seattle. Well, and he's just a creep. Yeah. It seems like the scenes with her seem to only exist to show that he's a terrible person, which seems like the theme. Maybe we didn't set that up enough in our Elvis in space movie. But like, yeah, the first act, he has to be a complete scumbag that people are only buying into because it's played by Elvis. Right. I feel like he has to spank someone, too. (laughs) Yeah, maybe like uh, maybe one of those uh, space dogs, you know, like the the Russian space dog gets out of control. Thanks, Laika, the Russian space dog. Yeah, for sure. Sure. Yeah, why not? Yeah, let's do it. Um, And then there's a scene where he throws a bone for the dog to chase and it just continues to soar forever and ever. (laughs) Just keeps going in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I'm entirely here for it. Uh, yeah, this movie is weird, man. It is. And well, I mean, it, it's that thing, too, where I think the astronaut thing is so out of left field because most of the movie is just our plane got taken by the cops. So I'm just hanging out at the World's Fair. Like there isn't a real drive for his character. He's just having a good time. Right, like they they hint that there might be a ticking clock with them trying to raise the funds, but then all he does is try to shag Diane Warren, Academy Award winning songstress. And or wander around the World's Fair with a child who he is not the guardian of. No, but he, I mean, we're not to the silver linings yet, but I did find the relationship between Elvis and Sulin rather sweet. I did too. I'm just recapping the plot. I'm just saying yeah, how he's spending fair. his time. <laughs> That, that that instead of raising money to get back his plane, which is his full livelihood, he is just wandering around with a girl he met two days uh, with a a child he met two days ago. Yeah, which does seem fun. Like it seems really fun, and I would say that maybe that makes him seem like a better parent than the uncle. Right, the uncle who just f's off for a while. Yeah, who picks up two hitchhikers and then is like, "You guys seem trustworthy." <laughs> I'm going to leave my niece, who's some for some reason in my charge, with you guys. He murdered her parents, right? Oh, I think that's a given. Yeah, he definitely murdered them for some insurance money or something. And then, like, fled with her. And clearly had a huge drinking problem, because it turned out that the reason he was missing so long is that he drove the truck into the Puget Sound. Yeah. which <laughs> This was a murder-suicide pact that somehow Elvis saved Sue Lin from, I think, is, is what we're learning. 100% it is. Yeah. Because, and that's during the day. That happens at presumably like 9 a.m. or something, because it seems right. like when the World's Fair is opening <laughs> that that right, happens. Right, because, like, I mean, like, why would you do it at the, if you're going to just... Get the day over with, you know, I get it. Well, yeah, like, yeah, maybe go to the World's Fair first, like have have a fun last day. See the Space Needle and then do it. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah. But I'm saying, like, you know, that's one of those more of a cry for help situation, because then you're just looking for reasons to stay alive. Like, get out of the way early. If you're committed. Oh, you're saying just wake pack, up. Just wake up. Wake up. Get up yeah. and go. Get yeah. it done. I get that. Okay. I so mean, I, both make sense. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there, I don't. I was going to say there's not a wrong answer. I can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> We've gone down a dark path, uh, loyal listeners, and uh, we're going to backtrack now. Yes, we are. Uh, so let's just uh, let's talk about the fact that, as we said, since Blue Hawaii is the bar, I think one of the biggest, if not the biggest silver lining of that movie was the music. I mean, you had some mm -hmm. iconic Elvis bangers in Blue one Hawaii. One of the most iconic in uh, I Can't Help Falling in Love with You. And I think that that's another big knock on this movie is that the music is just not up to that level. No, there are some endearing scenes and there's some songs that are decent. And it might be an unfair comparison to put anything in this movie up against Can't Help Falling in Love with You. Right. But at the same time, like nothing is in like the upper echelon of Elvis tracks in this movie. Yeah. Well, nothing's as good as some of just the the other songs. In Blue Hawaii. <laughs> oh, no, 100%. No, I'm just saying, like, but because the best song in this movie would still probably be below average in Blue Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, but you're right that there's some stuff that I think a lot of the stuff where he's singing to, uh, to Sulin is cute, you know? Yeah. Like the scene, uh, the, the circus clown one with all the, the, and the wind up little robots playing music that was a cute scene although that clown is terrifying yeah yeah it, it really is there's also a question of where did all of those toys come from at this random house that they just were staying in in this weird bachelor community <laughs> yeah i don't know what's going on in that town i did love the scene when cps shows up to get her and it's like, they're saying like, well, tomorrow we have to, we have a job and we're going to do it tomorrow. And they're like, well, then who's going to watch her when you have the job? And all of the random bachelors burst in to be like, we'll watch her. And it's like, that is not. That's not helping your case. One <laughs> iota. Yeah, this is not going to sell this. Yeah, th like. This. There's like the weird like Bye Bye Birdie-esque closing song, Happily Ever After thing. That I think like, implies that he thinks they're going to live forever. I think that he's singing that they're immortal in that. Because he says something about how like, you know, it'll never end. And it's, I don't know, the, the lyrics to me got a little bizarre of just like, and we will never die. Yeah. It's it's a weird song. It's very like not Elvis because it's, it's absolutely like a Broadway closing number where they just happen to be around a marching band at the World's Fair immediately after he signs up to be an astronaut. Well, or in front of a green screen that is projecting a marching band behind them for a lot of those shots. A lot of them, a lot of it is process shots. That yeah. is accurate. Yes. There's a lot of green screen in this movie. Um, anytime any vehicle is moving, very noticeable. But yeah, I thought that one was strange. Just that at first they are walking in front of the marching band, but then there's a lot of just the two of them singing this final number with a, you know, 
added in post marching band behind them. Well, and that's and that's a weird thing, too, is that uh, Academy Award winning songstress Diane Warren um, doesn't sing the entire movie, but has like four bars of, of music to sing in the finale. Right. Yeah. Where she's like, I agree that we won't die. Those are the lyrics. I that's think how that's it, it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's just weird. Um, but yeah, like this song, this movie doesn't have like it has some endearing moments that are sweet because of like the nature of the character dynamics. But none of the songs are memorable whatsoever. No. And I think that that's a big problem in a movie like this. Y- you want an Elvis movie to have some Elvis bangers and like maybe the I'm falling in love with you crooner song he sings in the uh, revolving restaurant. Is the closest? Probably. But the fact that you're calling it the Elvis crooner song that he sings and not its name or more, you know, precisely explaining the song, I think might indicate it's memorable. Wait a second. It's not called that crooner Elvis song he sings in the revolving restaurant. It might be, actually. I'm going to look it up right now. I'm pretty sure that was the placeholder they wrote in the script. And I'm looking it up. And yeah, that's what it's called. Oh, okay. Well, then my apologies. Good. You should apologize. All right. Well, can we, I don't know what else we need to talk about, except that I do know we need to talk about director Norman Tarog, who is apparently a sociopath. Yeah. He sounds like a monster. (laughs) Because I assume you read the same thing I did, which is, so there's a, as we've kind of set up the, with uh, Sue Lin and her uncle, he gets a phone call and then he has to explain to her like, hey, you know, unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to take you to the World's Fair. And they're doing this in front of Elvis, who's then going to agree to take her around. But she cries in that scene and it's for five seconds, you know, like there's just and it's not even like she's crying. There are just tears already on her face. Apparently, to get a young girl to cry in his movie, Norman Tarog told her, the real-life person, that her beloved grandmother had died. Yeah, and this is not the first time he's done that to get such a reaction out of a child actor. Apparently, that's his move as a That's director. his go-to to, you know... Really tap into that uh, emotional memory. He was Stanislavski before Stanislavski. Which I, I'm just. Yeah. Oh, wait, no, the worst one. It was. Um, they like had the child actor's dog taken behind a screen and then uh, they pretended to shoot a gunshot. It. Yeah. 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 He yes, that was another one. But yeah, that was kind of his move is he just would horribly traumatize children. Create actual trauma. Yeah. To get a scene that didn't even need tears. Well, and again, that's why I spent so long setting up the scene, because even if you thought that she should be crying, which, okay, like, I mean, she's disappointed. There is nothing about her tears that couldn't have been accomplished by taking some water and putting it on her face five seconds before you called action. Right. Like, so for what you used in the movie, again, and I just want to be clear, like crystal clear. If she gave a very moving, realistic performance of her sobbing, it still would not have been worth it. It would have been terrible and abusive. Yeah, no, that towards needs to child. definitely be said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there is no version of this that justifies it. But I do think it is worth noting that it 
is even more egregious in that like it was pointless it's not right yeah and like i could you could maybe make the argument that as a director directing a child actor to say you know for this scene i need you to be really sad like how would you feel if you'd heard news that your grandmother died like how would that make you feel that's not what he's doing even that would be a little manipulative as a director he's flat out saying it's like uh vicky i got a phone call uh, from your mom and your grandma's passed away. Yeah. Action. Yes. That that seems like what he's doing. So, yeah, this guy is a monster. And they let him keep working with children. C- continually. Yeah. Uh, apparently next week he's going to be working with three girls. So, you know, we'll see. But on the bright side, I do have, uh, again, we're all about silver linings here. So silver lining to this story. He's dead now. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. If there's a bright spot is that Norm Tarog is dead. Yeah, he was born in 1899, so he's been dead for a long time. He's been dead for a hot second. Yeah. yeah. Um, He might, especially uh, as we wrap up Elvis Month next week, uh, reach that ignominious uh, stature of the director that we featured most on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's strange, though, too, because when people found out he died, no one had an emotional reaction. Yeah, none. Not not a single person. Yeah. So, you know, um, yeah, this movie. Again, kind of similar to uh, Blue Hawaii in a way like. This doesn't have a plot and Blue Hawaii kind of didn't have a plot, but weirdly, again, having watched Blue Hawaii first, which I would have said didn't have a plot, it still has more of a plot than this movie does. Yes, because like there's no real conflict. I mean, I guess him trying to woo uh, Diane Warren is a part of the conflict, I guess, maybe. Yeah, I mean, there's some kind of uh, Munchausen thing going on where he's injuring himself or having his ward, we'll call her generously, uh, pretending to be sick in order to get the attention of the nurse. But yeah, it's mostly that. Like you said, I mean, they need to get their plane back, but there's not a real ticking clock. There's a guy at the end who wants them to do crimes. And then when they don't want to do the crimes is going to murder them all. But he just shows up right out of complete left field, which is weird because. I feel like all the pieces were there and pretty well established to have this guy at the end be a guy that you set up in the beginning by establishing that the, you know, gambling partner of Elvis actually owes a dangerous loan shark a bunch of money in addition to this other money. And so they need to get the plane back to get both the money that they owe those people, but also the money that they owe this dangerous guy that's going to murder them. And then the hell out of Dodge or the hell out of Dodge. But either way, dangerous guy shows up at the hangar at the end with weapon you like now you've earned that. That makes more sense. Right. It and, makes a lot more sense. And there's there now the clock. There's a, a ticking clock to the whole thing. Yeah. It, we've we've just punched up another Elvis movie. So we got Elvis in space, a more linear version of it happened at the World's Fair. We're I think I'm going to say it. We were born in the wrong time period. We should have been making Elvis movies 60 years ago. Yeah, because it seems real easy. It doesn't seem that hard. I'm yeah. not going to lie. Yeah, it's I mean, like, 
I don't think they had discovered the hero's journey yet. I don't think that was a thing that anyone talked about. No, I, I think you're you're indeed right about that. But they did have a lot of movies with really good plots before that. That's true. Uh, but sometimes they also made things like Easy Rider. So it was a real mixed bag. You know? Yeah, that's true. Because Easy yeah. Rider is just a mess. Yeah. But yeah, it, this is also pre-Robert McKee. So I think that was a lot of it. That's too. true. Nobody had made a book about screenwriting yet. So it was just like, I don't know. And And unfortunately... You know, they brought a lot of guys like Fitzgerald and a lot of these like famous writers, uh, you know, novelists to Hollywood, but then they just broke their spirits immediately. So those right. guys stopped trying. Right. That yeah, that all that all definitely tracks. Um I don't know. Are we ready to to segue, to flip it, to pivot? I say yeah. I say we pivot. Um I think one of the reasons it's so easy to make an Elvis movie is man is Elvis charismatic. Yeah. Yeah. He's like stupid charismatic. And it's funny because you read the stuff to where uh, about the making of it. And they one of the challenges they had for this movie, because as you pointed out at the beginning, was it was actually filmed at the World's Fair. They had a huge problem just shooting the scenes and getting people to stop just cheering the audio because they're just screaming their heads off because Elvis is there. Yeah. He's just in person walking around the world's fair and people lost their mind. So that like, he was just, he was over, he was over in the way that like stone cold was in the nineties where yeah, they again might not have given him the best material every week, but it didn't matter because the fans were just chanting his name. No, it just, they were, bonkers for elvis yeah the yeah. dude like yeah just just oozes charisma yeah is a magnetic personality not a terrible actor i think he's his acting might actor. even be better in this than in blue hawaii like he seems yeah you might be right about that he seems very like laid back in this movie like he just seems like he's having a good time which is weird because hawaii is a lot more fun than seattle yeah, but I I don't know what it was. He said he felt loose on this one. I mean, I guess maybe because he was playing a character that was a little more sure of himself in the uh, womanizing uh, crop dusting pilot. He wasn't playing po- Chad. He was not playing Chadio. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. No. This like Elvis is going to be a silver lining every episode this week. I think, but or this month. Uh, but yeah, he's dude's got charisma and he holds your interest and he dude can sing. Yeah. He can sing yeah. even like the songs in this that aren't great. They hold your attention because right. yeah, he's like, got the charisma. I would say outside of the two random brawls, they were the most I was interested in what was going on on screen. Which I think that the two brawls are Silver really lines. well choreographed. Yeah, they're well choreographed. They have those old school punches that for sure don't work now, but I I have a nostalgia for them of just the just just these wild haymakers. Yeah, the wild haymakers with a punching sound effect that does not sound like a real punch, but sounds like what a real punch should sound like. Yeah, like but yeah, the first fight would be perfectly in place in like any western. Oh, yeah. It sort of felt like that sort of saloon brawl. And like the two fights, they're 
good fight scenes. Yeah. Especially by 1960 standards. Yeah. Well, let's yeah, let's zero in a little bit because again, we we said it before, but just to restate it, someone goes through a window in the first one, which is classic. Two people go through a window. That's first true. Elvis yeah. punches a dude through a window, and then his degenerate gambling buddy gets punched through a window. Right. All of it's great. But I I I especially I mean the opening brawl is great and chaotic, but I really do want to zero in on the final battle because the it, final battle. It is. It's the <laughs> but because I think it's worth taking a moment to go beat by beat on this so again random dude shows up to do a final job to get them out of debt and he's a completely shady character he freaks out when the nurse and uh the kids show up because then there there are complications and all that but he pulls a gun on everyone uh was it sue lynn right that's her name uh she bites his hand which distracts him, which allows Elvis to come in with a George McFly-esque right hand <laughs> to, like, stumble it's, the guy. Yeah, yeah it, it's not unlike uh, Rue from Street Fighter. Shuriken! Yeah, no, he clocks the guy, which sends him stumbling. Then Degenerate Gambler Buddy rushes the guy and is immediately waylaid in one <laughs> shot. And then yeah, just one shot KO'd. But then it's like Elvis and this guy toe to toe. Elvis is punching him into boxes that say fragile on him. Like they are having a knockdown drag out fight, which is legit good. And then the dude goes classic wrestling heel and begs off. He puts his hands up and is like, no, please stop. So Elvis, because he's never seen a wrestling match, stops and the guy immediately sucker punches him. And then Elvis knocks him out like it's. It's it's booked really well. It really is. Like every and, beat of it's solid. And here's the weird thing. Elvis, by all accounts, was a big pro wrestling fan. He was a big Gorgeous George fan. Is So the story goes. Well, and I mean, there's all this stuff with Elvis and like the martial arts stuff. Elvis liked fight choreography. Like he liked all that stuff. Well, and that's the thing you can kind of notice, too, in some of the fights is like his instincts to like block punches. And sure, these I'm sure these fights are like well blocked to use the different definition of the word block but you know they're well choreographed they're well planned but like he just looks fluid and comfortable in conflict yes no he's very good it's honestly surprising there aren't more big fights like that in his movies considering how good at it he actually is yeah um that he could have been quite the action star yeah and by all accounts seemed like he would have been good with that i mean the dude carried around a badge that he got from Richard Nixon and he had a gun and yeah. he shot his TV and he knew martial arts. Like, why wasn't he doing action movies? I mean, he did a few Westerns that probably had a few more action scenes, but he was mostly doing these sort of like whimsical musicals, which is also a good use of Elvis Aaron Presley. Like, let's be honest here. Yeah, no, I mean, the dude was surprisingly versatile in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, you know, this is Elvis month, but I feel like we should talk. Uh, Vicky Chu, uh, who played Sue Lin, huge silver lining for me. Yes. I mean, child acting difficult. Sounds like she was traumatized by the director for sure. But no, I mean, a lot of this movie hinges on and a lot of particularly Elvis's likability hinges on her performance and her relationship to his character, because she is what humanizes him ultimately. Right. Well, and I think what works about it is that like she, 
isn't that precocious. Like she acts like a seven year old for the most part. Yes. Except for when she's uh, wingmanning Elvis, who doesn't need a wingman. But at the same time, like also, he took, but he kind of does like he doesn't in general because he is a ladies man. But at that moment, he does because he didn't he's kind of wingmanning. No, he's I mean, blown he, it. yeah, yeah. Um, but. But like she behaves like a child throughout the whole thing, which I think might be harder for a child actor to do. Yeah. Than to be like the precocious wise beyond their years, you know, knows, understands more than they let on type child actor. Like when you think about even the child actors that have grown up to have reasonably successful careers, uh, usually their child roles have been them playing somewhat of a precocious character. Yeah. And the the more memorable ones, whether it's uh, Jonathan Lipnicki in uh, Jerry Maguire or anything Macaulay Culkin did before he turned 12, like it's that type of precociousness. Yeah, that usually plays. But she plays like a really genuine. Kid, and it's it's kind of refreshing and like the she had really good chemistry with Elvis as far as like it was a very like paternal relationship that they had and it was sweet and it was endearing. Uh, it just it was it was delightful, I think, is an actual not hyperbolic use of that term. I was delighted by it. Yes. No. And I think you're completely right. And I mean, that's the thing in the first half of the show. Obviously, we're going to talk about how weird the setup is, especially in 2023 to watch it. It seems wild that any of this is happening. But the thing is that between her and Elvis, they somehow sell it as not seeming weird, that it actually seems sweet and that you kind of don't want them to be split apart to the point i almost thought we were heading towards an ending where elvis was gonna marry the nurse and then they were gonna adopt her like i actually thought that could have been where we were going if that had happened i would not have been shocked yeah like it kind of felt like it was going that way of like clearly your uncle's gone well right because and clearly in order to get that reaction from her they would have murdered kam tong uh in front of the child so that she could properly react to her uncle walter being killed well how else would she do it yeah I, I can't think of a way yeah um i think it's just an interesting postscript that vicky Chu uh didn't do a whole lot more acting but did become first lady of hawaii yeah yeah which is just uh yeah an interesting side note and I, yeah i saw that too and i saw that she uh, again, ran for governor unsuccessfully yeah and and she's the one obviously who's talked about all this stuff with the director but she did make a point too to say that she really liked elvis and enjoyed working with him as well yeah because I mean, Elvis seems like he, you know, he had his problems, sure, but he seems like a genuinely good human being that wanted to do well. Yes. And do right by people. No, I think that's accurate. Uh, well, we we teased it before, but speaking of child actors, we obviously get there. We obviously have to talk about the fact that this is the very first on screen role of one Kurt Russell. And man, what a debut getting paid. A quarter in the movie and five dollars in real life to kick Elvis in the chin. <laughs> Which that just one I think speaks to his negotiation skills. That movie <laughs> he's a, version he's a of businessman. Yeah. Movie him was willing to take a quarter, but real life Kurt doesn't get out of bed for less than for five less bucks. than a fin. For yeah. less than a five spot. But I definitely think he falls more into the precocious kid category that you were talking about in this. But he's good. He's legit charming all of his stuff 
uh, calling Elvis a weirdo was really cracking me up. Like just because it, in his mind, the way that it's played is he's some kid at the world's fair that a random stranger comes up and says, if I give you a quarter, kick me in my shin. He's like, all right. That he's thinking this weird masochist guy. Yeah. He definitely thinks that he's weird and definitely thinks this is going on, but also is going like, yeah, but I mean, I mean, I've kicked guy, I've kicked grown men in the shins for free. If you're going to pay me. Yeah. Well, shoot. Well, shoot, mister. But yeah, it it was delightful. And I when we laid out these movies for this month, I didn't know that he was going to be in this movie. So that was a a really Um, great surprise. And it's it's so funny because I I knew that Kurt Russell was a child actor. And I also knew that he is a big, like lifelong Elvis fan. Well, because he played Elvis in the TV biopic uh, called Elvis from 1979. He voiced elvis in forrest gump like he has a long-standing uh connection to elvis and would he possibly even travel like somewhere between two and four thousand miles to do something elvis related to go somewhere that elvis lived maybe possibly yeah somewhere that seems possible um, but but no it, it was i i didn't really know this connection it's interesting no i had no idea like i i, I think had we known, we certainly would have picked this movie, but like picking it as sort of at random was a nice thing. But I think that makes it the definition of a of silver lining of I went into this movie not knowing that was going to happen and was utterly delighted to see a young, fresh faced Kurt Russell uh, doing what he does best. Just kicking a dude. Kicking Elvis in the shit. <laughs> and this is several years before uh, the computer who wore tennis shoes. Yeah, like this is, yeah, foreshadowing his eventual Disney uh, career, which isn't the case. I, I'm trying to remember this, but wasn't he like the last uh, child star that was hired by Walt Disney and wasn't something like that? There's yeah. like some note about him that was one of the last things that Walt Disney wrote. Or something. There's some kind of thing with Walt Disney and his career and all that. But I know that, yeah, he was a, a Disney star uh, before you he know. was in the original Escape to Witch Mountain or whatever and a few other things. Uh, but yeah, no, it was it was really fun to see. And like you can see, like you see the kid and you're like, that does look like Kurt Russell. Like he has the eyes and granted he's a toe headed uh, lad in this one, but doesn't have the, the trademark dark hair. Uh, but we should clarify he has shoulder length hair and a full beard. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. He's, he's got a flamethrower on his back. Of course, he yeah. obviously has a flamethrower. Uh, and he also drove up to kick Elvis in the shins in the Pork Chop Express. I mean, that yeah. goes without saying. Yeah, so I mean, those kind of tipped it off a little bit. But that it was indeed Kurt Russell. <laughs> uh, another thing I saw, and I couldn't place her in the movie, but apparently Goldie Hawn was in this movie as a background extra as well. I, I read that same thing and looked for her and also couldn't find her. But please... Dear listeners, if you can, if you are so inclined, yeah, uh, it's a do the Where's Waldo and find us Goldie Hawn. Uh, yeah, wait, hold on, I'm reading. Apparently, she played the guy at the end that had the fist fight with Elvis. Oh, That's oh, yeah. oh, okay, yeah, no, I see it now. That, that makes, makes perfect sense. Yeah, okay, we got yeah, it. All right, we did it. Um, I mean, she didn't really do much, but seeing Yvonne Craig sent me down uh, a wiki trip of like 860s Batman trivia. So that was fun for me. I mean, it's always nice to see her, right? Like, I'm, and yeah. Yvonne Craig, you know, like I know her as Batgirl. I can't really say much else that she's done, but 
love the 60s Batman show. So that was fun kind of reading up on looking at some of that nostalgia. Yeah. No, the 60s yeah. Batman show is fantastic. Yeah. No, no notes for that. Um, but no, like this. Yeah, it's it's a fun, breezy movie that if you're just not really paying attention to just kind of happens. Take the microscope out even a little bit or the magnifying glass and it is a really weird flick. But uh, but yeah, you know, the um, it's fun. And I, again, I we've talked a lot this year, especially about how far off our barometer is for what actually accounts for a bad movie. But man, I take an Elvis, any of these Elvis movies we've watched so far way beyond more than half of what we've watched for this podcast. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't know. He's kind of selling me on uh, being like a Nicolas Cage-esque figure that we, we might have to go through the catalog. I, I'm convinced if, to see the depths. I want to see how far down we can go. Like, can we watch Kiss and Cousins? Like, is that a possibility? I mean, sky's or, some, the- or like Harem Scarum, where he performs in brownface. Like, let's not. Let's yeah, not let's that. not do that. Let's no. let's let's let's. let's dream about the legacy and leave it where it is um i i mean these westerns though i didn't know about the westerns and now he does a couple westerns and some of them are like he plays uh someone who's like half native american fighting for the honor of the native american tribe and oh man they loved that one that was oh yeah they did i'm sure they did um you know what andy i take it back i don't wish that i could go back in time (laughs) and write screenplays at this time (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so i guess we'll just have to write elvis movies nowadays and austin butler holler at your boys silver linings playback is a production of hobotrashcan.com if you enjoyed the show please rate or review it on apple podcasts hear more great shows on the peak sloth podcast network like this one this is philip and katie and Bridget, and we're three friends who like movies. Especially movies of yore, when we were small and everything seemed awesome. Now we're revisiting these bright, shining beacons of our youth and figuring out if they are for real. So sit back and relax and revisit the best, the worst, and everything in between from the 80s and 90s. And find out, is, is it... it-